0: Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans. I'm in uh, Ruther Glen, Virginia, between Fredericksburg and Richmond. And on the line with me is Mike Gully. Mike is up in, uh, are you in Quebec? I'm in
1: Ontario this time.
0: Well, Mike, welcome to the War Room. Thank you, Bill. I was thinking of several things about Mike. I was thinking the idea of being busy. Versus the idea of being productive, uh, you know, or effective. But Mike is a homeschooling father. Of how many do you have in your family now, including foster children?
1: Well, there's seven kids in the home currently.
0: Mike, if you could just hold off on your church repent project until you get those seven grown, you have quite a you have quite an entourage. Of course, they go out with you already, don't they? To some extent, or yeah. have In the past. Uh,
1: Yes, uh, my older three daughters frequently join me. Um, they're excellent uh, material distributors. They love handing out gospel tracts and abolitionist material. And the younger children uh, excel very well at drop-carding and leaving gospel tracts in the stores that we frequently shop at.
0: And listen, no no War Room uh, interview with Mike Gully would be complete without a shout-out to his – bride Heather who is man she is a warrior yes uh, she is and truly a helpmate she sure is and uh, you told me a while back that that homesteading which is what Osampa Osampa farms that's really sort of Heather's life lifelong dream isn't it
1: Um, I'm pretty sure she was the one who initially seeded the idea in my head of kind of being somewhat, uh, uh, self-sufficient and like productive as far as uh, farming and homesteading goes. And so, um, you know, if she hadn't have, uh, thought of some of those things and kind of put some of those ideas in my head years back, I'm not sure that we would be doing what we're doing today.
0: What's the name of your podcast?
1: Yeah, Heather's, uh, podcast is on, um, Christian Patriots. Dot org, I think is the website and it's a uh, Christian Patriots is ran by uh, Daniel Crane and uh, her podcast on there is called Battle Ready Homestead and it's at 6pm Central on Saturday nights uh, where she talks about everything from just general homesteading to homeschooling to natural remedies to sometimes we talk theology, um, all sorts of different
0: topics I love the title "Battle Ready Homestead." Uh, um, now, is that a live program or is it uh, recorded?
1: It is live. Um, although uh, the other weekend, I think it was weekend before last, they we did a pre-recorded thing. Um, but, but mostly, it's live, and you can actually call in too. There's a phone number people can call into and actually ask questions and
0: interact. Well, I'm going to need to talk to Heather about how she's doing this and. Uh, uh, the, is it Hardy? Uh, who is the, 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 woman, the abolitionist that's part of this, uh, patriot, uh. Oh,
1: right. Uh, that's Rachel Haggerty.
0: Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. I have not um, met H- Rachel. I've not talked to Rachel, but it's long overdue. Uh, we need to have her on. And I'd like, you know, because I, I made a comment somebody the other day about, uh, wanting to, to do something with, uh, to take reconstructionist radio podcasting to the next level which would be live so that would be interesting so I'll talk to Heather maybe about, in, in the future about that or talk to Rachel we're friends on Facebook and I, I wanted to reach out to her anyway what do you and tell everybody what you do for your full-time occupation
1: um yeah I am a traveling um, service engineer for a North American distributor of road construction equipment we distribute uh, from a manufacturer in Germany, so we're the North American subsidiary. I guess, I think you consider it a subsidiary for them. But we, we distribute their, their machines and also support their machines and, um, train our dealership basis on how to, uh, support their customers who purchase the machines. Um, we don't work direct with too many customers anymore, but in, in essence, I am a uh, electronic uh, troubleshooter, technician, I work with hydraulics, mechanics, um, pneumatics, and uh, also road construction applications, uh, milling, paving, um,
0: reclaiming, all sorts of stuff. Now, do you have to speak or read German?
1: No, uh, but that would probably help occasionally. Um, but no everything's translated the german uh company has a translator they they translate all their material into English and French and spanish and
0: all that and you're a you're an air force vet right
1: yeah i, I did twelve years I served from two thousand two to two thousand fourteen
0: right and 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 more of that will be coming in in uh mike's pending uh once dead testimony which He's promised me that sometime uh, before the second coming, uh, he is going to have that. But Mike is so busy. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have Mike on the war room is because I think in some respects, and, and I, I tell Mike I, I frequently embarrass my guests, but, but Mike is something of a, a hero of mine in the sense that I think he epitomizes preparedness and uh, being instant in season and out of season. From my, from my perspective, now, there may be a few exceptions to this, but it is a matter, I guess Mike would say, of, of, of personal discipline but and, and passion and, and absolute conviction. He doesn't go anywhere where he's not prepared to engage people, either with literature or with a ready-made, holy spirit inspired impromptu exhortation tell us tell us about your preparation just give us some real tactical i'm not not here just to blow you blow up your balloon or anything but just tell our listeners mike abolitionists and reconstructionists uh, uh listeners to the podcast who are maybe abolitionists in sentiment they philosophically subscribe to all the tenets of abolition what is the next step brother tell people how to arm for battle and what's involved in actually pushing back the darkness as far as your Great. preparation as you leave your your homestead and go out into the world uh, whether it's to the store whether it's to the gas station the post office the your local general Baptist assembly or to Toronto, Canada, what, what, what sorts of preparations or steps does Mike Gully take before he goes out the door?
1: Right. So, um, well, I, I would say, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 59 and I'll just start there. It's something that. I was reading years back, when I first became an abolitionist, I first started really reading the prophets heavily, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on, Amos and, and, and Micah and all that. And, uh, Isaiah 59 stood out to me, and I forget which, which verse it is off the top of my head, but it's right there in Isaiah 59, and it says, um, uh, righteousness stands far off and, and, uh, justice is turned back. Uh, for truth has stumbled in the street and uh equity cannot enter. And so the, the idea there was that the reason why justice is turned back and righteousness sta- righteousness stands far off from us is because truth has stumbled in the street. So in the public, in the marketplace, in, in the streets, there is no truth. Um, now, you, you can go to your typical Sunday morning service and probably hear truth at most of them or some of them or at least portions of truth or half truths or maybe complete truth, I don't know. But in general, in the public, out in the marketplace of ideas, out in the streets, uh, truth is lacking. Uh truth is kind of stumbled out there. Um and so what I prepare to do everywhere I go is propagate truth in all its various forms um, through gospel tracks specifically through um dispelling, like um through attacking and casting down every lofty idea that elevates itself above the knowledge of God. So that would be like when I propagate and spread abolitionist ideology, um, undermining some of the lies that are propagated from the pro-choice movement and even some of the lies that are propagated from the pro life movement and, and various things like that. And so For me, it's just all about propagating truth through literature, through uh, pamphleting, um, through bumper stickers on your car, through conversations that you have, um, and just generally through the life that you live, of course. Um, And so that's just really, really important. So when I leave for anywhere I'm going to go, whether it be Canada or Texas or Louisiana or the East Coast or the West Coast or, or wherever I go, I try to pack literature with me, because um, when I'm on the move and I'm running through an airport, uh, I don't necessarily have the time or even you know the the conscious uh, thought to stop and have conversations with too many people. i'm I'm focused on getting on an airplane or getting off an airplane or getting through customs or whatever. So the first thing I do is I want to put on something that I don't need to be conscious about, and that would be T-shirts, hats, a wristband, um, a backpack that with a patch on it or something that is truthful, something that confronts people with true information or confronts lies that other people are saying in the culture. Um, either way, you know, it doesn't have to always be like um, a, a scripture passage quoted verbatim or something along those lines. But just in general, having something that I'm wearing – that doesn't require me to make any conscious effort in my day-to-day life to propagate truth or to cast down Satan's lies in the culture. So that would be like step one, packing. um, And you can, I mean, I I obviously would say, you know, the abolitionist gear store, AHA gear, is a great place to get really nice-looking T-shirts and hats that dispel um, one of our prevailing sins and 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 injustices, which is abortion, but I mean you can wear a, a gospel hat that you know has uh, something about repentance on it, or all sorts of things you can do just to unconsciously spread truth and confront people with with gospel-centered true ideas in your day-to-day life. The next thing I do is I pack lots of literature. So um, even if I don't plan on having a lot of time on my hands, I always make sure that I have enough literature on me that if I was to go out to a street corner or hit up a uh, shopping center or a public gathering place or something along those lines, or maybe if my job got canceled and I had a free morning or a free afternoon to stand outside of a high school or something, I would have literature to hand out Um, because as a single person – all by myself, if I happen to be, I can only t- have so many conversations going on, and I can only dis- disseminate so much information and, and debate uh, the cult- cultural lies and things like this with so many people at once. But if I hand out tons of literature, I can do so much more work sometimes that way. And then also people can take the literature home. They can read it. They can analyze it. They can talk about it with their friends. You never know how far that literature is going to reach or what it's going to do or where it's going to return. And so I always bring enough literature so that if I was to be outside of a school or a street corner or something like that, that I would be able to take up at least 30 minutes to an hour of time without running out of information. Um, anywhere from, you know, quad folds from the deer store Free gospel tracks from uh, Chapel Library is a place I get free gospel tracks, um, and that might be good for your listeners. Uh, it's Chapel Library; um, they're online. Um, it's are they ministry, in Pensacola? Mount, um, Mount Zion Bible Church. I don't know. I think yeah, they are in Pensacola, Florida. Yeah, and it's a great resource because you can go on there and you can order books from Spurgeon, Pink, uh, all sorts of you know, uh, really good writers and authors, um, and you can get these books for free. They're not the best, like, uh, looking books on your shelf, but they're free. Um, and you can usually, I think you can get, like, up to eight to ten books for free per month per household from them. They don't charge you a dime. But what I do is I go on there and I find little, like, four-page gospel tracks from, like, Arthur Pink or somebody like that, or, or I think I have one here from Henry mayhem that's titled why men will not come to christ and um i just message mount zion or chapel library mount zion bible church and i just say hey you know i'm a traveling evangelist and i really like this track and i know you guys have a limit of eight to ten like per household per month or per yeah per month but I'm i'm really hoping i could just maybe get a box of those so i could distribute them and then I don't have a lot of money to spend, and all of a sudden, two, three weeks later, I get a giant box in the mail with like 500 gospel tracks in it, you know, or a thousand gospel tracks in it. Um, so that's a great resource.
0: Mike, you become somewhat famous or infamous, uh, depending on what side of the, 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 the battle line you're on for your YouTube videos. Uh, could you give, our audience, a being a, 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 a tech noise like you are, you're you know electronic, uh, and tr- electronic uh, savvy and 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 mechanic savvy. Can you give um, our audience a brief primer on how you do that with GoPro? What what sort of gear? What sort of uh, investment? Uh monetarily speaking, how it works? Does it load instantly upload to uh the internet while you're shooting it or do you have to store it? Or can you can you give us a little bit of a primer on that?
1: Yeah, that's fine. So I do carry two uh electronic well three I guess if you count my everyone most people nowadays have a smartphone, not everybody. And those who don't are probably blessed to not have one sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know, sometimes it can be a as much of a curse as it is a blessing. But um, I, I do carry around three electronic devices with me everywhere I go. I bring a simple audio recorder. Um, I'm, some people, maybe some of your listeners have, like, tape recorders. I'm not sure, but this one's a digital recorder. Um, so I just pop a memory card in it, or it has built-in memory, um, the battery, and it lasts forever. Um, I use an Olympus, uh, it's an Olympus DM620, but there's cheaper models out there. You don't need anything super fancy. And for me, I always keep my audio, repo- or audio recorder going, uh, I put it in my pocket or I put it in my bag or somewhere where it'll pick up audio, and I pretty much have it recording the entire time I'm out. I don't do that because I'm afraid of something or anything like that, but especially if I'm I'm oftentimes all by myself. Um, you never know what the police may try to pull on you. You never know what kind of legal trouble you might get into. Um, You never know what kind of awesome, fantastic conversations you'll get in that are, that are edifying to other believers to share with them. Um, You might find a, a, a pastor comes across your path and he's, and you're just like, where are more pastors like you in the world, you know? And, and he just, encourages you and edifies you while you're out and about, and you want to share that with others, and it's nice to have a record of that to do so. Um, and then also, the, I would say the main reason, and this is important, the primary purpose of my recording is so that I can analyze myself, um, so that I can listen to how I spoke and what I said and how I quoted scripture and how I compiled ideas so that I can get a better Um, grasp on how to be better in the future, and then also for accountability. So I send most of my audio recordings or video recordings to a group of believers um, from Idaho to Oklahoma to Texas to all over the place. There's about six or seven of them or so, eight people, and some of them review it, some of them don't, Um, and sometimes it's different ones that review it. But I look for that constructive criticism so that I can be accountable and so that also I can be edified and, and learn from my mistakes and errors, and that sometimes I don't see myself. That's kind of what God gave us the body of Christ for, right? And so I do that. So I carry an audio recorder on me, and I almost always have it going at all times. Um, and then I'll oftentimes also wear uh, some type of GoPro device. I don't have a GoPro anymore. I sold my GoPro to pay for it's called a e-action cam, Y I. Action cam—it's a cheaper version of a GoPro, kind of a knockoff version—and I was able to sell my GoPro and buy both Heather and myself one, so that we both have a camera that we can use and wear. Um, and then sometimes the videos are important for lots of reasons. One, you can examine them, and sometimes I'll notice when I rewatch videos of my encounters with people, I'll notice that I didn't pick up on their verbal, like their their nonverbal cues in conversations. That I should have picked up on, and I'll sometimes notice that um, uh, sometimes I can have a tendency to like interrupt people when I'm talking to them, and that's something that I've tried to work on for a long time. And I can see the frustration in somebody maybe as I do that during a conversation that I didn't pick up on while I was actually there, but I see it in the video. I see their facial expressions and things like that, and so I think that's important for me to learn from. And then also. I think it's important that Christians begin producing their own documentary. And I don't mean like a formal documentary where we are, um, you know, like professional recording and editing and things like that, but just where we are being the documentary in our our day-to-day lives and we're showing people in the world and in the church what Christianity looks like um, in a world such as ours where we're falling away from God and we're turning our back on his law and we're committing atrocious crimes against him, and we're legalizing and decriminalizing things that God calls abominations, I think it's important for Christians to have a visible presence in a culture such as that. And where is a lot of our culture nowadays? A lot of our culture is on YouTube and Facebook. And so if you post videos on YouTube and Facebook, it's, it's another way to engage the culture um, and show people And confront people with truth. So so that's kind of it. And then I also have my cell phone on me. And in a pinch, your cell phone can work really good as a video or audio recorder if you have the right apps on your phone or whatever.
0: Now, when you're doing your your GoPro or your video shooting, is that going? Is that uploading to the internet live, or is that being stored?
1: No, it's not live. So the GoPro is not live and the audio recorder is not live. It's stored on a memory card on the device, and I download that to my hard drive, and sometimes those videos just sit there, Um, and they never get used. and never even get looked at. Um, I have a three-terabyte hard drive that I have sitting at home, like one of those external storage drives you buy, and what I do is I make a folder, with the year, month, and day, and a brief description like Toronto, Canada, or something like that, and I just throw all the files in that folder, and it's just there. Sometimes I use them, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get to them, sometimes I don't. Um, If I remember something really good that I really want to look at and possibly use for video footage to make this ongoing be-the-documentary type of thing... Or I want to share it with other believers within the abolitionist movement or the reconstructionist movement. I want to, um, I want to send something to my brothers and say, I think I really messed up here. Can you tell me if I, if I did? And I send that to them. I'll just kind of like make a note of it so I know which file it is or something like that so that when I, when I go to look for it later, I know where it is. And, um, sometimes those videos just get deleted because they just do, you know, I I just delete them. Um, So that happens, too. But if you use your cell phone and you have a smartphone nowadays, if you have the data plan for it, you can just hop on Facebook, start a Facebook live video, and you're live to the to the Facebook world, whatever you set your settings to, public or friends of friends or to a certain group or whatever. And you can literally go live from right where you're at now. And, um, you know, you see videos like that all the time now on Facebook, live videos with people encountering police. You know, live videos at concerts, live videos wherever people do it all the time. So right. you can get an instant, instant live audience to what's going on at the current moment.
0: Tools of Dominion, uh, exactly. Michael. I'm going to ask you to give our audience a, a little bit of a teaser uh, in terms of your 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 overall story and testimony, and it, it explain uh, how you became an abolitionist and. My uh, sort of an ancillary question: um, When did you realize that you were a Reconstructionist?
1: Okay, yeah, that's fantastic. This will probably be. Let's see if I can make this brief as as brief as possible. <laughs> um, so, I married Heather in 2010, um, and Heather, uh, I had been married previously. And I thought I was a Christian. Uh, I had I'd been divorced, and I had grown up in church. I had grown up as a Christian. Um, I had pretty much lived as a heathen um, privately, but publicly I was a Christian. And um, Heather, there's that passage that talks about the unbelieving spouse and the believing spouse and the one sanctifying the other and things like that, and... Um, I think that I was able to hide my unregenerate state very well, but the moment I invited and welcomed a godly woman into my wa- into my life uh, uh, permanently, that opened up uh, that opened up the darkness to be exposed. And so what happened was Heather started pointing things out to me and recognizing things that were unrighteous about me, and I would not take them seriously as I as I should have. And um, that was the process where basically God drew me to him and uh, caused me to actually feel conviction over my sin and find repentance. And right. that was an amazing experience. Heather can probably tell you more about it than I ever could, and I should probably get her involved in making my testimony because she said it was an amazing thing to see when I finally gave up <laughs> and laid down my arms and surrendered.
0: <laughs> yeah, a husband wife testimony is is long overdue. Uh, so we yeah, we'd welcome that.
1: Yeah, and and so um, so what happened there was radical change. Um, and I don't think that has to happen in everybody. I don't think everybody undergoes a a like a radical in the moment change. Um, I think some people, it's not so radical, but they shouldn't think it's any less radical than what it was. God, you're dead, and, and then you become alive. Um, and when that happened, I became extremely hungry for truth, and and I just wanted to consume truth. Uh, I was reading chapters and books of my Bible every day, um, just immersing myself in the Word. Um, uh, I, I became aware instantly that um, I needed some sort of systematic. That I needed some sort of comprehensive view of the word, and not just this kind of like, okay, I read this today and that's it. But I needed some sort of like comprehensive view of it, of it all, of God's truth. So I sought out to find systematics of sorts, and I think I, I think the first systematic I went through was Wayne Gruden's systematic, which I don't no longer recommend, but. Um, for, for various reasons that hopefully most of your listeners listeners would be aware of as Reconstructionists uh, um, of some of the problems in in in, in Mr. Grudem's systematic. But nonetheless, I I listened to all of his lectures, all seventy two hours of his lectures during my commute to work and back, and and started getting a more comprehensive view of the scriptures and of doctrines and of theology. Um, interestingly enough, I. Something I remember it's a YouTube video or whatnot, but it was uh, I started getting uh, interested in presuppositional apologetics. Um, and in getting interested in presuppositional apologetics, I was drawn to Vantillian um, uh, apologetics, uh, Greg Bonson and Vantill. So interestingly enough, the first real book that I really read outside of the Bible that was really heavy was Vantill. <laughs> um it was greg it's pretty bonson's pretty it was it was greg bonson's uh, Van Tilian, uh compilation i i you probably it's a huge book um and it's more of a reference book than a reading book but nonetheless i i tried to kind of like read through it here and there and um i I became instantly aware of the fact that I had been studying theology and God's word for probably a year. And that I had not done much with it. And Heather was another part of that. Once again, there's Heather in my life um, going, uh, what's, the, what's the purpose of all of this? You know, you're always talking about theology. You're always talking about scripture. You're always studying it. You're always reading it. You're always learning more. But what in the world are you doing with it? Um, and I was like, "Hi, hey, that's a hitter. That's a strong hitter right there. What in the world am I doing with this? Absolutely nothing. Um, and I think it was a quote that uh, we heard from um, Ray Comfort uh, when we were studying some of his um, good person test type of apologetics, a type of uh, gospel presentation, which was a quote from Spurgeon, I think it is, which is, you know, if you don't have a heart for the lost, like if you don't care that people are dying and going to hell every single day around you, then you're probably not saved. Um, you can pretty much almost guarantee that you're, you're not a saved person. Um, uh, well, that hit me really hard, and Heather and I did a lot of self-examination during that time, and that was when we began publicly evangelizing and going out and sharing the gospel, um, distributing gospel tracts. So that was kind of our um, – we distributed gospel tracts almost everywhere we went, you know, million-dollar bill, are you a good person, Test all sorts of stuff like that, lots of Ray Comfort Tracks is what we used to distribute. And um, during that time frame, this 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 is the story leading up to how I became an abolitionist. During that time frame, we stumbled across Ray Comfort's 180 movie, which correlated the current abortion holocaust to the Nazi Germany holocaust and made it very real. And once again, we were hit with the knowledge of here's this real ongoing holocaust. Where image bearers of God are being murdered daily, and we are doing nothing about it, <laughs> we hold an opinion, and that 's it that's all we that 's all we have we don 't believe in it, and we believe it 's wrong that 's all we could honestly testify in 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 spirit and in truth that 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 's all we have against this and uh, so what do you do well um we didn't know what to do. We were out in England at the time. We were slightly before we separated from the Air Force and we were out in England in a foreign country. We didn't even know if there were abortion mills or how that worked and all sorts of stuff. So, and we were in the process of separating from the military due to biblical reasons. We could no longer be a part of, of serving our country in that sense given their, um, falling away from God and their rebellion against him. It was something we just couldn't do in good conscience. And so we were looking for how to separate and and void our uh, contract we had made with men um, to serve in that capacity. And so we said, you know, when we get get out, we're going to find out what we can do in the States to fight this um, evil. And so when we came to Tennessee, we got involved in some... uh, legislation called Amendment 1 in Tennessee. And um, unbeknownst to us at the time, Amendment 1 was a regulatory law, uh, what we would consider incrementalism, which sought to regulate abortion and limit it uh, through regulations. And I remember reading this literature as I'm handing it out. So I'm standing outside of Walmart and drop-carding it on Walmart parking lot cars and all sorts of stuff like this. And I, I got evicted from Walmart parking lots for distributing Yes on One pamphlets and reading this and talking to people and looking them in the face and saying, vote Yes on One for the uh, to enact common-sense safety practices for abortion. And I'm going, why are we asking for – is there any such thing as a common-sense safety practice when it comes to murdering children? Like I and I just remember it stopped me like, Well this is wrong, but I was like, but I don't know what else to do, so I guess we'll just keep doing this and I and I should have should have just stopped right then and there doing that. But uh an abolitionist uh contacted me online out of nowhere, cold approach due to a post I had made and said, You should watch this video and it was a video of abolitionists debating incrementalism versus immediatism and it struck me very hard, they were using scripture, they were theological, um, they were gospel-centered, and they were telling me with the Bible and with sound doctrine. And I knew sound doctrine because I had been immersed, unbeknownst to me, in Reformed literature. Okay, I didn't even know what Reformed was, but I had been immersed in Bonson and Van Til and Spurgeon and, and all of these solid Reformed um people and writers and teachers and I'm going these guys are espousing solid doctrine and it is true and the scariest part is I've never really heard it taught I've never heard I've never really re- I don't remember ever being taught growing up that Christians were supposed to publicly like, denounce cultural sins publicly. And I had never heard it taught that Christians are supposed to be salt and light in the sense that, like, not this super hyper-spiritualized sense, but, like, go out and shine light on all this darkness and let it, and and, you know, and things like that. And I had never heard... uh, I don't know how I missed it or how it didn't get taught to me that one of the primary things that God focuses on in his word is the treatment of orphans, widows, and sojourners um, God has a a a very clear admonition in his word and through his law and even through the New Testament that he has a high care for the for the orphan and the widow and also for the sojourner and uh, so that was all new to me and the one thing that abolitionists told me, in truth, is that I was wrong, <laughs> and that I was supporting sin, and that I was supporting iniquitous decrees, Isaiah 10.1. Um, and so I needed to repent. And so I went to Heather, and I said, you know what? These guys are telling me that I'm wrong uh, This through the scriptures. The scriptures are telling us that what we're doing is wrong, and I can't argue with them. I think they're crazy. And I think they're a little radical, but I cannot argue against them, because if I do, I'll be arguing against truth, and so we need to do something. And so we did, and then we became abolitionists, and um we've been kind of doing what we've been doing ever since.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I don't even know how to put a, a cap on that. I, I, you can't say the rest is history or the rest is the future, but – uh, it's a long, it's a long war ahead of us, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, you've positioned yourself kind of at the tip of the spear, you know, having, uh, a, it occurred to me as you were talking, I said, you know, that all you'd ever been confronted with was apathetic Nicianity. Uh, you'd never been yeah. affected with militant Christianity. And, uh, and so, and, and, and what we have now, I, I, I always remember, and it's one of the, Verses that I used to have written down in in leaf of my Bible and has provoked me many times is Luther's quote that where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And so the fact that uh, Christian congregations around the country are 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 teaching you know correct soteriology, and and teaching that you know husbands should love their wives and vice versa is all well and good, but when the when the the, the building is burning down, you know it's time to fight fire. And well, and, um, it, it, and abortion it be, is the, abortion is our national
1: sin, right? Yes, it is. Um, there's others too, but but abortion definitely is a national sin, and it's the only sin that I'm aware of. Where where two consenting adults consent together to destroy an innocent human being, um, so so that I think brings a different level of severity to the crime. Now, if if I could be so bold as to say that the one thing that lacked in the example I saw from lots of the what I didn't know to be Reconstructionist literature that I was reading. Is to me, and this is why I'm so glad that Heather was in my life to go. What are you going to do with this? What are you actually going to do with it? Was the example that I saw was learning things, writing things, um, and 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 debating and things like that. And that's the example I saw. So so if I was to look to the example and follow that, not that anything was being taught false, but if I was to actually follow the example the path I would have naturally gone down was to, like, get educated and and teach and debate. But I think that what abolitionism did for me was bring this other um, aspect into it, which is the day-to-day battle and practical application of it um, that I, I just and, – and it could have been – part of it could have been because of my lack of involvement in the Reconstructionist movement and not of seeing all the examples that maybe were provided here and there. But if all I did was kind of read some of the, like, theological information, it left me with a so, – so, so we need to learn more, and we need to teach more, and we need to debate more, and we need to, like, you know, have this knowledge and, and grow in it. Now, now that I've learned more about the literature, I've read books like um, uh, When Justice is Aborted – uh, where we're given a fantastic, a fantastic example of Christian disobedience and, and things like that, so then there's a more fuller picture. But the surface stuff that I was reading gave me an example of basically intellectual uh, basis, which I, I you know was
0: good. good. to well, have. There's no shortage of the- there's no shortage of theology, but what you got from Heather was meology. Uh, in other words, what are you going to do with it?
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I think that's one. Of, I think that's one of the advantage. I think that's one of the. I've said many times, and I'll say it again, is that uh, I think one of the best things. You don't. By the, by the way, there are many fine brothers and sisters in Christ who are out on the the firing line who are who are uh, who, who are putting it on. You know, laying down their life for their preborn neighbor who are not Calvinists, who are not postmillennial, who are not theonomists, uh Mm-hmm. And, and so you don't have to be a Christian Reconstructionist to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, but I think it puts more muscle on the bone. And I think from the standpoint of meology and orthopraxy I think the best thing that's happened to the Reconstructionist camp or mindset, if you will, or, or movement, if you want to call it that, in of in, in recent days, at least the the, the circles that we sort of move in is, is this, uh, sort of finding each other, abolitionism, finding Christian reconstructionism, and or, and vice versa. I think it's a, I think it's a, a match made in heaven, and I think it's, uh, I, I think, uh, it has, you know, men like yourself, quite frankly, and I've said this as well, I'll say it again, uh, on record, I think I've have been more inspired by the actions of my abolitionist brothers and sisters than I have by the words of my Reconstructionist brothers and sisters. And, and not 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 to put not to pit one against the other, but uh, I, I think there's a point in which words just without action, the words just begin to echo. And, uh, and it's sort of a hollow sound. So, um, I, I, I would, I would take this opportunity as we wrap up this episode to, uh, to encourage those of you on our listeners who, 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 you know, your, your theology is sound. Now let's get our neology in shape. And, uh, you know, grab an axe, a pick, or a shovel, because there's work to do. And this is extending the kingdom. Homeschooling yeah. is extending the kingdom. Obviously, evangelism exists in any kingdom. But uh, opposing the works of darkness and ex- and exposing it. And I was I, I, you know, I was thinking of you uh, in reference to the Church Repent initiative, where in Ephesians 4, we talks about, and speak truth, each one of you, to your neighbor. Well, that's exactly what you're doing. And, you know, a, a, another thing I was seeing throughout Ephesians, getting the message over and over again as I've been listening and re-listening to Ephesians, is that we, there's one body. So when you, when, you, when you approach a group of Christians, whether it's at a Christian concert or whether it's at a Christian, uh, you know, Sunday service, and you seek to exhort them, you're not an outsider, and, and and you ought not to be treated as one, uh, because there is only one body, and you're members of that body, uh, as the true I, believers I, I, within I, that group are.
1: I I thought of something, and I don't want to I don't want to over overlook it, and that's I can see right now some listeners thinking in their head and going. Yes, but there's various gifts given to the body and various different members, and they all have their different functions and things like that. And so, um, I want to give a I want to give a practical example of what I'm talking about, where I'm not saying, okay, everyone needs to stand out on a street corner um, or something like that, and we should stop debating and writing books and stuff like that. So. I want to be, I want to give a practical example of what I'm, what I was talking about when I said, you know, the example that was given. And, and this is a real life example and I won't mention any names. And I think it's far enough, I think it's long enough ago that most people probably won't know who specifically I'm talking about. So I go to a, a meeting about a a upcoming push for um, legislation in my state. And it's a meeting put on by uh, you know, people who are sound in in um, uh, reconstructionist ideas, reformed ideas, abolitionist ideas, things like that. And, you know, we go to this meeting about how to, how this is going to work, what it's going to look like. We're strategizing, right? And we're learning what the strategy looks like so that we kind of know where our place is and how we can form and function within the strategy, and and things like that. This is all good reconstructionist type of things. You're having a strategy session. You're considering how to put biblical ideas into action legislatively and things like this. It's all good, making sure that the entire group and team is on the same page and knows where the, the thing is heading and everything like that. And then there's a parade outside after we get done. So some of us go to the car and we grab our signs and our literature and we start walking up and down the sidewalk to the parade, handing out literature, holding our signs, grabbing our amplifier and preaching and things like this, right? It's just kind of what we do and we just spring right to it like Nashville because what's the big deal? We have everything in the van ready to go. We brought signs with us. We didn't know if we needed them. We brought amps with us. We didn't know if we were going to use them. We brought tons of literature. We didn't know if we were going to have anything to do with it. But it's there. It was in the car. So we go and we grab it. We head out to the street, and what I'm talking about now here is these guys who excel at speaking and motivationally speaking. So they they do a really good job of standing before a group of people and, and speaking in such a way that motivates them to action, right? And let's face it. There is a difference between somebody maybe like me who could stand up in front of a group and present truth but maybe not do it, like, in a very entertaining way. I might be dry. I don't know, you know. Whereas they're fun and entertaining, and they keep your attention, and you listen to them, and they, they, they move your emotions and things like that. Not to, like, play on them and manipulate them, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But then afterwards, they don't come join me on the street. They just cross the street and leave. And, and not that that's necessarily wrong. They see people in action, and they see maybe they maybe in their mind they thought, no, there's no need. There's plenty of people already doing that or something like that. But the example that we see is these leaders who just kind of want to talk and speak and teach, but then not really take in the maybe what, I don't know how the viewpoint is. I don't that. I have seen examples from them in other areas where I know that they actually get in the trenches and do the work. So, but just that's, that's kind of, I don't want to take that. Fair, and say fair, that fair enough. Maybe bad, they had, maybe they had,
0: an, but, maybe, maybe they had a family emergency.
1: You right. know, but here's the here's kind of, the moral you're willing to see but you're not willing to stand on the corner and hand out a gospel track. I'm not saying you have to do that all the time, but if you're if you're a a writer and a teacher, you don't occasionally just go and just distribute gospel tracks or, you know, drop car to parking lot or something along those lines, like you don't you don't really do that, consider doing it and getting out in the trenches and just doing that monotonous small day to day work that has to be done to spread these good ideas. So that you can better relate makes, to the yeah. teaching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even if you write theological books, you need to get your hands dirty. And you need to get blood on your sword. And uh, I think the main thing, the moral of the story is, in World War II, everybody didn't storm the beaches at Normandy. But everybody in America knew it was war. Everybody was doing something. The kids were collecting cans or tires. Uh, uh, people were growing victory gardens. The old, the old people were growing victory gardens. Mothers were working in aircraft factories. Everybody and the majority of people were doing something. It may not have been, you know, picking up a rifle and storming pillboxes, but everybody was doing something. There was no mistaking the fact that we were at war, and that is not true today of the of the body of Christ in America. By and large it's ease angelical. It's it's uh you know, make yourself comfortable until Jesus comes. And so what we're encouraging our our uh all of our reconstructionist friends to pick up an axe, pick or shovel because there's more than just reading and writing books. This is more an exhortation to Reconstructionists to act more like abolitionists than it is an exhortation to abolitionists to believe more like Reconstructionists. We hope both occur. Uh, The harvest is is, uh, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Mike and Heather Gully are laborers. And uh, they're faithful. And uh, they're... Uh, semper paratus, always ready and and so and and, and you know Mike you, you the other thing is is that I'm sure that you a good bit of prayer goes into that drop carding and and literature because uh as you said it's you're you're shooting arrows off into the unknown and and uh praying that the Holy Spirit will guide them and uh, they'll hit their mark. And I believe yeah. that by faith, by faith, you have that promise that they do.
1: And the Bible says oh, that God word for return void. That's, and that's true. That's
0: right. Well, I will we'll, uh, go out by by claiming for you in prayer and pray uh, that God may grant every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith so that the name of Jesus Christ be glorified in you and you and him. So, Mike Gulley, we thank you uh, for joining us here today on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people stop?